0: Welcome, River City Church, uh, and those of you that are with us or listening to us for the first time, we're glad you are with us or or listening. Uh, those of you that were with us, and I say were past tense this past Sunday, is because we had some audio technical difficulties, and last Sunday's message did not get recorded. And after church, I had a number of you say, "Hey, uh, could you make sure we get a copy of that?" Will it be? posted online. I said, yes, it will. I promise you, uh, we'll get that to you. And I guess I lied. So I'm actually uh, re-preaching, re-giving this message again. So hopefully it's just as good the second time around. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us, all that you've blessed us with. Lord, I just thank you for your word that comes alive within us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, Father, that you would use this message to transform us, to shape us into your image. Lord, challenge us where we need to be challenged. Lord, speak life where we need to begin living and grow us, Father, where we need to grow. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the message that we shared last Sunday and sharing now, uh, the title is called, Why You Are Not a Christian. Uh, And then, we have Salvation, Repentance, The Way are some sub-things that we're going to be looking at today, but Why You Are Not a Christian. It's a little bit of a, a provocative title, and maybe some of you listening are doing the same thing that a few faces did Sunday when we, when we said this, Why You Are Not a Christian. It, it's, a, it's a little pro- a bit of a provocative title, it's intentionally jarring, and this is to get us thinking, what is a Christian, and why do I claim to be one? So this morning, I want us to be thinking uh, a little bit, and and not just thinking, but I want us to, as we think about these questions, as we look at God's Word, ask the Holy Spirit to help us with our our thinking. We know that when we come to Christ, there's a renewing of our mind that we actually begin to to think and see, uh, think about and see the world differently through the eyes of Christ, through the heart and of Christ. Christ is that that lens that we are to interpret everything around us, and so. Let's ask the Holy Spirit as we listen to this to to help us answer these questions. People outside of Christianity have a lot of different ideas as to what a Christian is. Um, Some are positive and and, and others are negative. And and most of them, if you watch any videos online of people randomly being asked on the street, what is a Christian, you get a lot of confused answers, a lot of varying answers on, on these questions of, what is a Christian? And so this morning, I just wanted to ask a little bit, what does Christian, quotation, mean to you? What does being a Christian mean to you? You can go ahead and think about it, and you may have some answers ready to go from Sunday school when you were a kid. You may have your own thoughts or ideas. Uh, if if we look at the, the history of the, the word Christian, Christian, um, the original church in the New Testament, the early church, they didn't call themselves Christians, actually. They initially called themselves terms like brethren or brothers and sisters in Christ. The faithful. The elect, meaning those that have, have chosen Christ, uh, were set apart different from those who haven't. Saints, also uh, anointed, those who have been set aside by God. Believers, those who believe in that. term believer doesn't just mean someone who believes, oh yeah, Jesus exists, or yes, he is the Son of God, but they, they actually believed everything. It's an act of believing. They were putting it into practice. So the word Christian is actually given to people of faith who follow Jesus by the Greco-Roman culture around them. This word Christian was first used in the city of Antioch, a Greco-Roman uh, city, and, and there was no other religious group as diverse and as radical in how they were impacting the cities they lived in as were the believers at that time. They were calling each other brethren, faithful, elect, saints, believers, as we just said. And so what was happening is you had this group of people now that, unlike many of the other religious groups uh, or civic groups, they all were. They all looked the same. This ancient city of Antioch, it was around, uh, like many cities, it was in a circular form high walls and inside it you had a at the center was a marketplace and everyone would bring their unique uh, languages their their skills their crafts and they would sell them and they would mingle but then everyone was for the most part kind of like in Chicago they were compartmentalized in their little areas so you had you had uh, the blacks over here you had the the uh, Arabs in this side you had the hip stirs with their scarves and their coffee on the other side. Okay, maybe they didn't have that in Antioch, but but similar to Chicago, they are very compartmentalized in ethnic and cultural groups. But then this group of people who were following this, what's called the way, or basically the way of Christ, were transcending culture. They were breaking ethnic barriers and social class and, and gender. They are men and women. They there was no other religious group that was as diverse and as radical and impacting the culture around them as this group of believers. And so those began, people were like, well, how do we, we need to identify, we need to call them something. So they began to call them Christian. Uh, this name actually only occurs three times in the New Testament. We first read in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Uh, Luke records the origin of the term. Luke. Chapter 11, verse 26. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. So Luke, being a great historian, helps us out there and and documents the first time this term was used. We see also in Acts, chapter 26, verse 28, uh, King Agrippa uses this term when, when talking to Paul. In verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, in such a short time, are you persuading me to become a Christian? And, and keep in mind, he wasn't necessarily using this. This wasn't a complimentary term. This is actually a little derogatory. It was to be insulting. Uh, Jesus wasn't in, in their mind exactly the picture of success. Uh, he was poor, uh, he was killed in the most disgraceful way possible. His followers believed he was still alive, and that God had uh, talked, God actually talked to them and wanted them to love even their enemies. This was offensive to, to the Roman society. They, they just thought these people were crazy, and so they thought Jesus and his teachings were crazy, and, and he was a loser of a, of a leader. So by calling them Christians, they, they were kind of insulting them. But in First Peter chapter four. Verse 16, Peter addresses this. Uh, he says, Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace. But glorify God because you bear his name. He was saying, hey, don't be offended by this term. You know, they mean it as a disgrace. But but take it as a compliment because it bears the name of Christ. It means you're being called a Christian because you act like Christ, because you resemble Him, because you reflect Him. So if someone is going to call us a Christian, we have to ask ourselves, why would they call us a Christian? As we see in, in, in the context of this early church, Christian wasn't just a a title, it wasn't just a form of identity that people had. See, the world around them came up with this term that they put on them. But it was actually the church, it was the believers who gave definition to the term Christian. So we as the body of Christ, we give definition. But now let's let's talk about our, our own context right now. The word Christian has has taken on a a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people. Unfortunately, there's a lot of of people who, who would call themselves Christians who are maybe just as divided and confused in what it means to be a Christian as the world on the outside. So let's ask ourselves, if someone is going to call me a Christian, why would they? Is it simply because I tell them that I am? Is it because we tell them that we're Christians, that they call us this? So just something to think about as we try to answer this question. Does identifying myself as Christian make me a Christian? Does identifying myself as Christian make me a Christian? Just because I say, hey, I'm a Christian, does that make me a Christian? Let's ask this, if if I put on a Packers jersey or a Colts jersey, because I, I s- still have my Colts jersey, I need to get a Packers jersey. Don't worry. I, I, I've learned to appreciate the Packers as a, as a Wisconsinite now. But if I put on a Packer jersey and I say, hey, I'm a Packer, does that make me a participating football player? Does that make me an actual member of the Green Bay Packers? If I tell my kids, I'm Batman. And I've done this. I've tried this. It doesn't, uh, they haven't bought into it yet. But no matter how many times I tell them, I'm Batman. And I even tried, I put on a mask. I put on the mask and I said, I'm Batman. They informed me that saying I'm Batman does not make me Batman. I laugh when, going back to the football theme. you know, after a Packers game, someone will be like, man, we fought hard. We, we, we won that game. And I'm thinking, we? Uh, no, we didn't win anything. Okay, they won the game. We were sitting on the couch eating nachos. So does saying just because I identify myself as Christian, does that make me a Christian? So I, I, Sunday, a lot of heads were answering, oh, I guess not. Just saying I'm a Christian does not make me a Christian. So, what does make me a Christian? Is it because of what I believe? Does what we believe make us Christian? Just believing that Jesus is the, the son of God, that he, he was born of a virgin birth, that he, that he lived a sinless life, that he, he died on the cross for us, that he rose again to life, that he's coming back, that all justice and peace is found in him, that hope is found in him. Does believing all of that make me a Christian? Satan believes all of those things about Christ. He knows who Christ is. He knows how he was born. He knows how he lived. He knows how he died. He knows how he rose again. He knows what's coming. He knows his days are numbered, but that does not mean he's living in submission. He's still in rebellion against God. So does believing and knowing who Christ is does that make me a Christian? When we look at it in that sense, then yes and no. It's important that I believe these things, yes. But if even Satan believes those things, that does not necessarily mean because I believe in Jesus that I'm necessarily a Christian. What I do, just saying a, a sinner's prayer, just saying, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Um, I need you, please save me. Does that make me a Christian? As we look through Scripture, from Old Testament all the way to New Testament, there are no magic words or special prayers to make me a Christian. I've seen this too many times in in the church world. I call it bag them and tag em evangelism. We'll, we'll go up to someone and say, hey, do you, do you want to go to hell? And people are like, no, I don't want to go to hell. Well, say these words, and, and, and you're not going to go to hell. Okay. And they say these words. They say, Jesus, forgive me, blah, 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 blah. And then someone checks them off on a card, and they're like, praise God, another salvation. And they leave, and that person's life never changes. That person's life never comes into fellowship with the church. They never become baptized. Nothing changes. So, just saying a prayer, just saying the words, God forgive me, does that make me a Christian? If saying those words are supposed to mean that I believe and I'm taking on something new, but nothing changes in my life, am I really a Christian? Baptism. Just being dunked in water or as a child, if you were uh, sprinkled or whatnot, does baptism make us a Christian? Does baptism make us right with God? I may shock a few people here, but I'm going to say no, because we swim and take baths all the time. Is baptism good? Yes. Is it what Christ has called us to? Yes. Is there a beautiful symbolism and power in that step and in that act? Is the Holy Spirit present? Yes. But can someone go through those, those motions? Can someone be dunked underwater and come up? Can they be sprinkled and not be a real Christian? And I would say yes. Just because we've been submerged in water, just because someone's poured water on our heads, does not mean we are good with God. As we answer in these questions, we're finding that the answer is yes and no. Yes, these are good things. Yes, these are markers of a Christian. But no, these do not make me Christian. What makes me a Christian? Is it because of how we live? Just trying to be a good person. Make me a Christian. I hear a lot of people I, I talk to them and, and try to ask them, you know, how's your relationship with God? You know, Or, you know, what's your faith barrier? And they're oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. I try to do, live a good life, you know. I try to do uh, more good things than bad things. The question, though, we have to ask ourselves is, what does being a good person mean? By whose standards are we a good person? Unfortunately, often when we when we say this when we're thinking of this, it's by our own standards. Is it possible to self-identify, call myself or be labeled by the world around me as Christian? But I'm not actually following christ i'm doing christ-like things i'm living a good life which christ calls us to do but is it possible that we are doing these things but not actually following him is it possible for someone to fulfill the qualifiers the world or even churches have put in place to be called a christian but have no active dialogue or relationship with God? The answer to that question is yes. Hell is full of Christians, hell is full, that place outside, separate from the presence of God. Is full of people who identify, who are called by the world, who are even called by churches, who who meet the qualifiers that, that the world or their church has put on them to be called a Christian, and they are not in the presence of God. We know this because this is Christ's words himself. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 23. Jesus is letting them know there's going to be false teachers, there's going to be false prophets, there's going to be people who teach you things that aren't true, that they're going to tell you things that sound nice, but they are not from God. There's going to be people who claim to know Christ, there's going to be people who claim to know Him and try to teach things, but they never knew Him. So he says, verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns? Are figs from thistles? In the same way every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit. Is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits. He's saying there's going to be a lot of people claiming to be Christians. They look like trees. They look like fruit trees. But you will know, Christian, a follower of Christ, by the fruit within their lives. He goes on in verse 21, and the title of this part of this passage is concerning self-deception, meaning... Oftentimes we deceive ourselves into thinking we are in right standing with God. We, we deceive ourselves into thinking we are following that movement and that, that leading of the Holy Spirit into truth. And yet we are not. So Christ, he says himself, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that word means like master, master. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did not prophes- did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? But then I will declare to them, I never knew you. What was that word knew? I never knew you. Go away from me. You evil doers, are you creators? You doers of evil. So he's saying that there will be many people who will stand before Christ, and will, they'll say, "Jesus, you know, hey, we call you Lord. We we call you our Savior." But their lives aren't actually submitted to him. They're not actually living lives with God as their ruler. because He said, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So there's many that are saying, God, we believe in you. Yes, you're amazing. But they're living their lives as though they are God. They are doing whatever they want, whenever they want rejecting the voice of God, rejecting God's word in Scripture. Many will do things, they'll say things as though they are doing it for Christ. But they are not in relationship with God. As Christ said, those who abide in me will be with the Father as I abide in the Father. Christ is is in His Father as we are to be in Christ and Christ in us. It's not enough to call ourselves Christians. We must be in Christ. I am a firm believer that many of us would be very surprised right now to learn who is and who isn't in heaven right now. I know when we stand before God and we, we stand before Him and, and we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servants, and, and we're standing there and we are experiencing the wholeness and the, and the beauty of, of being restored holy in Christ and in the presence of God. And as we begin to be aware of what else is there, I believe without a shadow of a doubt we are going to be surprised who we see and who we don't. There are going to be big name. Uh, evangelists and and preachers who have said, I've done this and I've done that for Christ. But when you look at their lives, when you look at the fruit, it shows a life out of sync with Christ, out of relationship with Christ. Not in step with the will of God. Not in line with, with God's Word. And it should grieve us. It should, it should, this should be a passage that, that causes us to intercede and pray God, may we never, may we never reject you. See, in Antioch around 2,000 years ago, it was the culture that, that believers, saints, followers of Christ, people of the way, It was the culture that these followers of Christ lived in that that gave them the name Christians. But it was these Christians who gave definition to this term. See, they didn't have assurance of salvation through Christ because they were called Christians. They were called Christians because they had taken hold of and experienced what salvation in and through Christ really is about. See, calling yourself a Christian does not save you. Does not make you right with God. Does not mean because you have taken hold of His identity that you have taken hold of Christ. A lot of people are living, and this is what that passage in Matthew was talking about, they have basically stolen the identity of Christ. They have stolen His identity. They have put it upon themselves. We need to take a look at what salvation really is. To be a Christian, to, to, to be a follower of Christ, means that we have taken hold of, we have received, we have, have uh, fully accepted Christ in all that he has done for us. His forgiveness for our sins, we have received his salvation. And the thing we have to realize is Christ has not saved us from Hell but from our selfish and sinful and destructive ways of living that, that earn us banishment from God's presence in the first place. Now, I'm not saying that, that God has, doesn't save us from hell. Yes, He does, but, but His goal is not to just save us from hell. Christ said, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Paul talking about being made alive with Christ. Verse 1, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. To be in Christ, there's obedience. And there's a being saved and brought out of those sins. Paul says here, verse 1, you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. See, a Christian is someone who obeys God. A a non-Christian, that fruit, when we obey God, there is blessings, there is Hope, there is life, there is beauty that comes out of that, produces fruit in our lives. When we live in disobedience to God, we are subject to the darkness, to the demonic powers of this world. We are not in relationship, we are not following God. Paul reminds them, verse 3, he said, all of us used to live that way. Every single one of us are equally sinners lost. We used to live that way. We were following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Whatever we wanted, just as our world around us says, whatever makes you happy, do it. It's, It's horrible advice. It was the same thing in their culture, in their society. And Paul's saying, we all did this. He says... Continuing in verse 3, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that we have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Again, there's that word united. We are with him, in him, in relationship with him. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus It's His work. We are saved by grace. We don't earn God's favor. We can't earn salvation. We can't earn the right to be called Christian. Rather, it is because of what He has done, because of His love, because of His grace, because of His mercy, that we have been given this new life and we are able to walk in relationship with Him. So if we are not in relationship with Christ... It's not that we haven't earned it yet because we can't earn it. The reality is we just simply haven't taken hold of salvation. We haven't taken hold of Christ by truly submitting to Him, by truly receiving His grace and mercy. Going on verse 8, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Paul's saying salvation is it's not something you earn. Verse 10 for we are God's masterpiece. He's saying we we are like God's painting, his sculpture. We are a work in progress. Goes on verse ten. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. See, part of salvation is is we have received, we have taken hold of, we've accepted what God has for us. We've submitted to God's will. His plan for that, and that plan is to take us out of our brokenness, take us out of of that sinful. Uh, recklessness that we, we live in and bring us into submission to the will of God, which has beautiful purposes, plans of of health and restoration and and living a life that reflects Christ. We are God's masterpieces. We are being shaped into that perfect image of Christ so that we can do the beautiful things that He has planned for us long ago. So if we are not Allowing God to to work in us, to create us anew. If we are stuck in our old days or rejecting Christ's work, we are in essence rejecting Christ himself. And we are unable to do those good things, produce that fruit that he has planned for us. That call for us to change the world around us. See, we are to not be changed by culture and society around us. We are to change culture and society around. The early Christians, they were changing the world around them. That's why they were given that name. They had to have some way of identifying this. Second part of of what really makes us a Christian is repentance. Because without repentance, there's no salvation. Repentance is how salvation is taken hold of. How do we take hold of this free gift that we can't earn from God? By repenting, by saying, God, I need you. I need you. I am not good enough. I can't earn my way to you. I've made a wreck of things. Lord, I need you. And and part of that word repentance, too, it also means to, to turn away from 180 degrees. It means to stop walking in a direction that goes away from God and actually turn and begin walking In the direction towards God, which is following Christ. As we follow Christ, we are walking towards God. We are walking in God. Luke chapter 24, verse 47. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. A true Christian has received salvation. A true Christian has received God's gift of forgiveness of sins. And they've done that by repenting, by choosing to turn away from being Lord of their own life and doing whatever they want. And by walking in submission and living out the will of God. We have to recognize we need saving. That Jesus has already done this work for us. That we, that we just need to take hold of it by taking hold of Christ. By taking a hold of all that he is and all that he has done for us. And living the new life that he has given us. And that way of being and living that he has supernaturally put within our being. Allowing that... To unfold as we take this new life that God gives us. And there is, there, we, we did the series Super Is Natural. And, and when we experience salvation, we experience a supernatural encounter with God. God's presence is separate. We're separated from God's presence. We're unable to be with God. But but through Christ, we are made right with God. We have now earned the right uh, not earned, but we have received the right. We've received access to God through Christ because of His work on the cross. And where it's like as Christ was raised from the dead, as we read, we are also raised to new life, a new way of living, a new way of living and being. And that old shame and that regret and the, the chaos and the turmoil of our old way of living is broken. But at that moment, we have a choice. It's been broken. We've been made new. We've been given salvation. It's now we earn our way to God, but now we have to make a choice to live, to take hold of that life that Christ has put within us. To follow that leading of God's spirit that is now placed within us and is guiding and leading us to a better way. And that's the third thing we want to talk about. The way the early Christians, they were called people of the way. Because they were living the way of Christ. They were fully submitted, fully and radically devoted to living a joyous life in Christ. A life that defied circumstance. A life that defied culture. A life that defied hopelessness. A life that defied chaos and anger and hatred and war, we are called to live the way of Christ. I can choose to live the way I want, or I can choose to live the way of Christ. Am I a Christian because that's what I or today's culture or some church says I am? No. Or am I a Christian because I have been made new by Christ in such a way that I reflect the radical image of Christ and the world doesn't know how else to label me? Is that why I'm a Christian? So in closing, I want us to just reflect on God's word, reflect on these passages. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Have we stolen Christ's identity? Are we falsely and, and and insecurely using the term Christian? Have we deceived ourselves into thinking we are okay with God when we are not? Am I a Christian? Because that's what I or today's culture or some church says I am. Or am I a Christian? Because I have been made new by Christ in such a way that I reflect the radical image of Christ and the world doesn't know how else to label me. That is the kind of Christian I want to be. I want to be the kind of Christian that has fruit in their life. The kind of Christian that lives in obedience to God because that is what changes the world around me. That is what changes my situation. That is what changes my community. That is what changes and brings my family into health and life. I can call myself a Christian all I want. But unless I am following Christ, I am not leading my family to Christ. I am leading them to hell. Irregardless of what I call myself. Irregardless of what a church calls me. Irregardless of how much money I give a church. Irregardless of how many times I go to church. If I am not walking in unity with Christ. If I am not taking on the heart of God If I reject the heart of God, if I reject what Christ is calling me to, I have rejected Christ, and I am not in Him. I am not in relationship with me. He does not know me. I do not know Him. So God, speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts but I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that, Lord, at the moment we cry out to you, the moment we repent, you are there and you restore us, Father. Lord, I thank you that it's not by my doing. Lord, I am incapable of coming to you. Lord, I am capable of, of living in my own power the life that you're calling me to live. Lord, that is why I need you. That is why we need you. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just reveal yourself to us. Lord, may we live lives of repentance. May we daily wake up and say, I choose to follow Christ. And Lord, when we stumble, Lord, when we fall, when we make mistakes, and you said that we would, Lord, may we be quick to repent. Lord, may we may we not step out of that sensitivity to your spirit. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, revive your life within us. Lead us into what you are calling us to. Lord, may we follow you to all that you have for us. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name.